Welcome to Box Out Banter. I'm Chris Okamura. Joining me as always, Mr. Jordan Christmas. Jordan, we have playoff basketball. Great weekend of game ones. It was fantastic. It was fantastic hearing crowds again. Um, it was, you know, the bubble experience. It was interesting and it was nice, but just watching this weekend of games alone, especially with the type of games that we had, it's just so, so, so much better with the crowd back and just the intensity levels up, the energies up. Trey Young's telling the entire Madison Square Garden crowd that it's quiet in here. It's <laughs> it's great. And the young stars are showing out, by the way. The young players, Devin Booker, Trey Young, uh, you know, Julius Randle kind of, you know, did not play well at all, but I expect him to bounce back. There's just all kinds of interesting series, and, you know, obviously we're going to talk about them, but it's just great to have playoff basketball back in a semi-normal setting. Yeah, uh, so before we get into playoff stuff, the play-in. Oh, yeah, the play-ins. That that also happened. Also uh, great. Yes, absolutely. Uh, LeBron seeing three rims shooting at the middle one. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... I think we can both agree that the West was better than the East. The East were kind of blowouts and yeah. not that interesting. Yeah, so um, much for our but, Hornets picks. Yeah, I uh, I was pretty disappointed in that one. But you know what? Hey, I'm the Celtics came out and surprised me. You know, they did. Jason Tatum, that man is a that man special. Yeah, so I'm very surprised at, at the Celtics coming in. I still don't think they're going to do anything. Oh no, they're going to get know. trounced by Brooklyn. Yeah, uh, you know, they started out hot, but then Brooklyn was like, oh, yeah, we're Brooklyn. Yeah, they're <laughs> we're the next. <laughs> and then, they're just uh, like, oh, yeah, we're the big three. <laughs> yeah, and then they just kind of went off. Uh, but the West, West plan, very exciting. Uh, yes. Uh, obviously, Lakers, Lakers Warriors was kind of like the the poster child of why the plan works. Uh, and then surprising. Do you, how surprised were you about the Grizzlies? Um, I wasn't that surprised that the Grizzlies were the eighth seed, actually. So I figured they had a they had a legitimate shot, um, considering that, you know, the Warriors roster, while it's been better, and while Steve Kerr cut his rotation down to eight or nine guys towards the last 20 games of the season, and they ended up having a net rating, I think, of plus 11 the last uh, 20 games of the season, which is the marking of a good team. Um, the Warriors roster is not as as deep as the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies have a lot of good young players. A lot of players that were honestly like, you know, basically draft crushes of mine yeah. and every NBA Twitter nerd scout. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Darren Jackson Jr. guy and I'm Jared, a big Brandon Clark guy. There's Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, who I thought the Suns yep. kept. Uh, Dylan Brooks, who is built like a fucking linebacker. Uh, and plays like it on both ends of the floor. Of course, you got the star power of John Morant. I was actually watching the playing game with uh, some of my friends over Discord. I had the stream going, and um, you know they were asking me. They were just like, "Oh, Jordan, so what do you what do you think of you know? Do you think you know your boy Steph is going to advance?" And I was like, "I don't know, man. Like the Warriors just played like 48 hours ago. The Grizzlies, you know, they're." 
they're young, they're hungry, they're looking to, you know, prove that they can make it to the playoffs after getting bounced by the Blazers in the play and in the bubble. Like, I think I thought they had a legit shot. And um, John Morant, just we got to see playoff John Morant or play in John Morant, but yesterday we got to see playoff John Morant. Um, the Warriors had the better player, player, two top end players in Steph and Draymond, but. The Warriors' depth just played out. Jonas Valanciunas and Jaron Jackson Jr. got in foul trouble. And then, you know, Tillman comes in right off the bench and is immediately just getting dirty in the paint, getting offensive rebounds, getting putbacks, hitting hitting key corner threes. Grayson Allen was hitting key corner threes, and he's been that's the Grayson Allen has been really good as a starter this year as well. Like the Grizzlies just have a plethora of of young talented players and I I'm not surprised honestly that they beat the Warriors I am surprised that you know um I guess I am so I am a little bit surprised that we don't get to see Steph you know in the playoffs um but you know the Warrior credit credit to the Grizzlies they they did great and John Morant showed out man yeah so I guess (laughs) I guess we can get into our first actual segment here talking about the Grizzlies and leading into the thing that probably we both want to talk about the most. <laughs> oh, yes. Fire up that jazz pack. So the Grizzlies beat the Jazz yesterday. <laughs> yes, they did. Was it yesterday? Yeah, it was and last night. after watching the game, the score does not tell how badly the Grizzlies beat the shit out of the Jazz. Yeah, you're right. Because uh, they, they almost gave that game away. Yeah, like young teams typically, you know, that's never been there before will most likely do. They'll relinquish the lead for sure. So how do you feel about what after what you saw in that game? What how do you feel? Um, the Jazz are screwed without Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> I mean, yeah. hot t- hot take, I know, but um there is that whole weird thing yesterday. I don't know if you were weeding uh, weeding reading reports today from uh brian windhorse and uh tim mcmahon of vspn but there was some confusion about mitchell's availability yesterday he had been out since april with that ankle injury against indiana in that weird random saturday game that was like at 11 a.m that literally that literally took all of nba twitter by surprise they're like wait there's a game right now like (laughs) but ever since that bad ankle sprain mitchell's been out and so there's apparently you know Mitchell has his personal trainers, and then the Jazz obviously have their own medical staff. The Jazz medical staff didn't clear him, and Mitchell got pissed off. Teammates were kind of blindsided. I thought he was going to play, honestly. Everybody thought he was going to play, but um, he didn't play, and uh, the Jazz had a tough time. The Jazz missed a lot of good looks. Um, Also, you know, Rudy Gobert got into foul trouble because Jonas Valanciunas is a goddamn bear. Like, he's a... if there is a player that looked like the looked like the logo of the team that he plays on, I would say Jonas Valanciunas is an actual grizzly um, in the paint, and he got he got Gobert, you know, in foul trouble a little bit, so that limited the Jazz effectiveness on the defensive end. Morant was especially in the fourth quarter was slicing through the defense. Dylan Brooks has been great so far um, since the play-in game against San Antonio. Um, and then in the, against the Warriors and then here, um, I just think the jazz, they need Mitchell gate gives the jazz that 
that dash of yeah that firepower but not just the firepower that dash of offensive versatility that perfectly mixes with what the jazz's shot profile and offensive style is because now you're looking at it the jazz are attempting a bunch of threes you're asking Boyan Bogdanovich to consistently beat his man off the dribble and get into the paint, which is something he could do for like a game or two, but it's the complement of the players that surround Mitchell and Gobert is what makes the Jazz go. It's what makes their four guys that can dribble, um, pass and shoot more effective because Mitchell is the more explosive one out of all of them. You're relying on Jordan Clarkson a little bit too much at that point. Um, it's the, the grit the, I think the Jazz without Mitchell, they're the number one seed. They should beat the Grizzlies with uh, even without Mitchell, but it's a lot tougher now. And I imagine this would be a tough six or seven gamer now, as opposed to if Mitchell was playing, I probably would have picked the Jazz in five or six. But um, it's a it, the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are tough, man. I'm glad we got the Grizzlies in the playoffs. Um, I know people want to see Steph and I'm certainly not one to you know disparage that notion because I want to see Steph but the Grizzlies are just a fun basketball team just a fun one so I it was a good it was a good win for the Jazz and you know light up that Jazz pack because they're in trouble without Mitchell so he's gonna play game two we know that yep Sean Serrani reported it the question becomes is he ready to play or do they yes. feel the pressure? And I don't know if I can answer that. And again, I think you're with me. We're, we're not the biggest Donovan Mitchell fans to begin with. I'm a I little bit know. more of a Donovan Mitchell fan than you are. Yeah. So I, I just don't know. Again, the the pieces are strong. Or the, you know, some of its parts stronger than the pieces. So I, I, again, I don't know if adding, obviously adding him back into the mix is going to kind of stabilize them again like you're bringing up. My thing is... There was a, there's a lot of holes defensively. There's a lot of things that were going on, not just offensively but defensively. That the Grizzlies were giving them fits, and yeah. like I don't know, yeah. having having sent having, well, Valus Junis, yes, but having like Jaron Jackson back out there, it really kind of exposes Rudy Gobert's lack of mobility when they're playing very when they're pulling him away from the basket. And again, I know he's long, and I know he, I know how talented of a defender he is. But again, I think there is a limit to a defense that is predicated around getting guys to go to the basket like that. Yeah. Um. So again, I, again, I we're, we're both just kind of anti jazz at this point. <laughs> um, I yeah <laughs> I I yeah in terms of the hierarchy of the West, I do think the Jazz are a little bit of a paper tiger. I do not think they they'll come out of the West. I think they're a really no. good team. Um, and I like how they've evolved over the years because of the continuity and stuff, but you're yeah, right. Again, we're talking about, we're talking about playoff teams, right? Like we're talking about te- like teams that are the top eight, top 16 teams in yeah. the, the league. Mm-hmm. So again, we're not saying that the jazz are terrible, but we're just saying like in terms of compared to the rest of the field here, I don't know. I, I don't think they're contenders. I don't, I think they're, it wouldn't surprise me if they lost this series to the, the Grizzlies I would be kind of surprised um I because I do think the Grizzlies have their own holes as well um sure I also I think I I think there is something to be said though for the uh young yeah kind of of course uh and they're an eighth I don't know what I'm doing the young confidence yeah for sure there's that uh there's that um 
that ignorance is bliss type of thing uh, right. going on with the Grizzlies. They, I mean, they know they're not the favorites in this series, so they're playing with house money a little bit too. Um, I do think uh, eventually we're going to see the Jazz adjust when they play that John Morant pick and roll. I think they're just going to start dropping under hard. Um, there are some adjustments the Jazz can make, but you're right. Um, a defense that is basically predicated around Basically, their only like elite wing defender is Royce O'Neal. Then they have a bunch of average defenders. Um, the the whole thing of forcing everything and funneling everything to Rudy Gobert, that's going to be a lot tougher. Considering that the Grizzlies do have shooting, they have an athletic freak of a point guard in John Morant, and you know if the Grizzlies miss a bunch of shots, Jonas Valanciunas is down there with you. You know he's basically built like a brick house he can just move people out of the way you saw I think what more than anything yesterday I think what we saw it, it wasn't so much Rudy Gobert was being pulled out of the paint by Jaron Jackson he was covered he was covering Valanchunas most of the night Rudy Gobert would not leave Valanchunas to cover yeah. the Grizzlies drives because I mean we've seen it all year with Valanchunas he is a bear on the offensive glass um mm -hmm. and he's just an old school just knock your knock your ass around the paint type of player and so Rudy Gobert wouldn't leave him and so that opened up a few more driving lanes for the Grizzlies so there's definitely some adjustments to be made but I would be a little bit surprised if the Grizzlies ended up winning it'd be great for the brand of this podcast but I I I I would be I would definitely be surprised if the Grizzlies won but uh don't think the Jazz are coming out of the West anyway uh but um no so that that does kind of bring the West, the rest of the West here where I know we brought up I, I don't know if you want to head Lakers Suns if you want to head Clippers Mavs I actually um, want to hit Bucks Heat because uh oh. I have the game actually sorry I know I we're doing a quick audible here but sure. um I just wanted to bring up Bucks Heat because I think the Bucks are going to trounce the Heat now. Now that they got the proverbial monkey off their back. Off the back. Yeah, I got I got the game on in the background right now. The Bucks are just running over the Heat right now. Um, in the early in the first quarter. Um, that 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 game one. I don't know about you, and you and you know maybe you can answer this, but that game felt like more than a game one of a first round playoff series to me that it felt, felt like a tone setter. that felt like what a tone setter yeah that it felt like a tone setter but it was kind of it felt like a mate it's ridiculous to say that a game one of a first round series is a fork in the road game but I really do think if the Bucks lost that game I really don't know if they could I don't know if I would say they would lose that series. They're just in a dogfight for the rest of that series. That set the tone. Um, they were able to get a few, like Mike Budenholzer, you know. <laughs> oh man, I was, I was, a, uh, I was a uh, Bucks Twitter and me were screaming at Mike Budenholzer the whole game. You know, there were stretches of the game where Bud would take. Brooke Lopez and Dante DiVincenzo off the floor and he would put in PJ Tucker and Bryn Forbes and what do you know when you put good effective players that fit together when there's five good players on the court at the same time it's amazing 
what could happen <laughs> like you know gaining an eight point lead but then he closes with Brooke and Dante DiVincenzo there were some Pat Connaughton minutes in there and I am surprised we got to see Pat Connaughton actually get some playing time but Bud hasn't gone you know to his best lineups and um they were very content on going under screens instead of switching on the Duncan Robinson dribble handoffs and Robinson got to go off. And if you let a shooter go off like that, I don't care if that's your game plan. Like that's not a recipe for success. And they almost lost because of it because of it. But now that they've won that game, I, I really do think the bucks are going to trounce the heat. Now Giannis still being put in different spots on the floor more than ever than they, than uh, he was in that heat series last year. And like I said, on the last podcast, drew fucking holiday is not Eric Bledsoe. He made so many key plays in game one. So many key plays he could go. Oh, he had, he had 20, 11 rebounds, five assists. He did go 0 for 5 from 3, but he was a plus 10 in that game. And yeah. he was just – he was spectacular. Um, I thought um, I thought his defense was great. I thought when P.J. Tucker was in, he played great defense. Uh, he was part of the reason why they played great defense on Jimmy Butler. Giannis actually guarded Jimmy a lot. Um, Bam and Jimmy were like a combined four for a thousand in game one. Um, and maybe low key Jimmy Butler's shooting problems might come back to bite the heat in the ass soon. But I think, I think the, the wheels are off now. I think the bucks are going to beat the crap out of Miami because I don't think they're as deep as last year and they don't have the personnel to do the wall as effectively. And even if they do do the wall, they have Chris Middleton and, and, you know, I didn't even bring up Chris Middleton who hit the game winning shot. Uh, in you know the second overtime, he was slow in the first half, but in the second half, he bounced right back, hit the game-winning shot in uh this, in uh the first overtime, or yeah, in there was only one overtime, but I thought it was going to go to double OT the way it was going. Um, yeah. but the Bucks were awesome, and they are they're a different team. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing what happens through the rest of the series because I think they should trounce the Heat of trounce i think that that was a huge game just mentally for the yeah for the bucks yeah that's where i was um, getting at is a mental road yeah road. i think i think that i think that that was a huge win for them i think for for me i don't know if i necessarily believe that they're going to trounce them i think that the series is still incredibly close i don't think the heat played their best either so you know obviously i don't i don't as good a defense as the Bucks played on Jimmy and Bam, I don't expect them to perform that way the entire time. Like, it's, it kind of comes back to the AD thing to me of, like, I don't expect Anthony Davis to have a game like that on game, the entire series. Like, to me, these are kind of low points. And, like, I think that when you talk about players to the caliber of Jimmy Butler and Bam at a bio, I think that you're talking about players that know how to bounce back and know how to make adjustments as well. And so, yeah, we're going to see the adjustments from the Bucks and make and you know tune things up. But I also, as we talked about before, I think I trust Coach Spolstra more than I do Bud. Oh to yeah, to make adjustments. Sure. And I think that like we're just going to see a back and forth. And I think this series is going to be as much a dogfight as last year's was. And I, then as soon I, pick, as- I pick Bucks in five. I just think they were way more talented than the Heat are. I know that they have the coaching advantage for sure, but if even if Jimmy and Butler, Jimmy and Butler, God damn it! <laughs> even if Jimmy and Bam 
do bounce back. Um, Trevor Ariza was playing 38 minutes. Like, yeah. Goran Dragic, he had one great game yesterday, but he hasn't been good all year. Is a year older. Like, He's been I just hurt, see. Though, I see. Fair. Well, yeah. He well, last year he was, <laughs> but. I just, I, I don't, I just think this Heat team is just not as good, and I, it's kind of, I kind of had this theory last year that the bubble kind of helped them out a little bit. Um, also, yeah, the, shooting, the shooting definitely helped with Hero and, and yeah, uh, and I, Duncan. Yeah, um, you might see like a close. I, you're probably the where I where I picked the Bucks in five. I think you might see a close game in a, another close game in one of the Miami the games in Miami. But I think the Bucks are just. They're overwhelmingly talented. They should they should beat if this goes past six, then I will not be scared of the Bucks if they come to the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think it'll be uh I don't maybe not scared is the is the wrong phrase, but I will definitely think less of them. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I think this is by far the most interesting matchup still. Yeah, um, definitely. In in this opening round. Um, um but yeah, let's bounce back to the Lakers and Suns. And your yeah, boy so, ate a Disney. <laughs> yeah, so AD had a terrible game, and he took. I'm I'm glad he took responsibility for it, because um, it's something it's it says a lot about. It was so weird because there's there has to be something going on mentally with him from the injuries, because he was. I don't know if you watched it close. He was hesitating to drive the basket drive to the basket but he was also not shooting threes so he was in stuck in this weird middle he's been ever since he got back the only game that he really bounced back on was that that game against phoenix where Mm -hmm. he was actually attacking he seemed angry and he was attacking the basket and he was getting he was doing 80 things now he's really starting to settle for this mid-range jumper that isn't falling and it's been a go-to for him but it's it's even more so now where he's relying on it for every little bit of offense and he's just not going to the basket i'm not entirely sure why if it's an injury thing or a mental thing um Mm -hmm. but i would expect him to bounce back in the second game because that right before he had that phoenix game before he had had a poor shooting performance in the game prior so he's always been pretty good at bouncing back so I, i would assume for the second game to be better um but there is no doubt in my mind that the Lakers are going to win this series now, as cocky as that sounds, that even after watching watching how poorly the Lakers played and watching how lethargic and sort of like disinterested they seemed, and the fact that we played a ton of of uh, DeAndre Ayton, or uh, sorry, not DeAndre Ayton, of uh, Andre Drummond, Andre, Andre Drummond and no Marc Gasol. Again, I trust at this point I'm in I'm in trust in Vogel mode because this is what happened during last year in the bubble as well, where we lost game one. We kind of actually got a kind of our ass kick game one of each series and then came back and swept the rest of them. So again, I'm I'm cautious, but I'm also optimistic. Uh yeah, uh LeBron Le- LeBron series after losing game one like they actually I think I saw the stat they win like 60% of the time or something like yeah. that LeBron teams or whatever but the Suns aren't a pushover man like they no. they uh, first of all um I'm just gonna go to the Suns side real quick um DeAndre Ayton p- 
played great defense on Anthony Davis. Absolutely. He was was spectacular. And if you're a DeAndre Ayton believer, if you're a listener and you're a DeAndre Ayton believer like I was, or I still am, I I don't know why I said was, like it was past tense. But if you're still a DeAndre Ayton believer, this was a great game, uh, a great debut. He was rolling hard to the basket. He was catching everything. He was getting offensive rebounds. He was playing great defense on Anthony Davis, and he was just being a big target down there, and you felt his presence the entire game. Um, guys like Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder, like they didn't even have like good shooting games, but they were still very important with their defense. And, you know, the Chris Paul shoulder injury, um, that's going to be a – subplot throughout this series but he was basically slingshotting the ball in at the end yeah um which was you know not good but hopefully he can um hopefully that shoulder feels a little bit better but uh as far as anthony davis goes um one obviously i mean you brought it up before but vogel needs to you know go to the anthony davis at five lineup sooner um andre drummond is just he's not it man like I'm sorry like I know like he had some decent plays yesterday and maybe we're at this point it's like you know once you're memefied as a player you're not going to get out of it they're like your people are always going to come at you and criticize you from a negative bias or slant but he's just not an effective player in winning games over the course of a game like he like I'm I'm surprised like he played 20 minutes yesterday like he got lost on defense so many times. Well, actually, the entire Lakers team, I think, there were possessions where they just weren't urgent. Like, there was that one possession where they were just jogging back. Everybody had their head turned, and Booker just, you know, snuck by them, and they they were able to get a Booker dunk in full court, uh, basically semi-transition. Um, LeBron didn't look like he had that much lift in his, you know, step yesterday. It's It, it was a poor showing all around and I think this series is important for Anthony Davis because there are some interesting stats about you know his mid-range jumper and his long twos and how he was shooting otherworldly in the bubble he was shooting like 50% on long twos and that was a lot of his shot diet in the bubble but in outside of the playoffs it was like what his first playoffs it was it was like 20 it was like 29 percent and then his next playoffs it was 30 percent and then at the bubble it was 50 percent so I'm wondering if we're going to see you know that a similar dip now that we're out of the bubble and also um the lineups where Anthony Davis plays and LeBron doesn't he's got to show that he could start winning those lineups more often um yeah there's been stats over the last few years obviously and when you watch the games like he's this is why I've always contended. While I've been a big Anthony Davis fan, I've not I am not as high as him as other people are as a tier one franchise player. I think you can build a champ I think you can build a winning team around him. I think it's possible if things break right, you can win a championship with him as the best player. But he one, he settles, I think, too much for the mid-range. And he, like you said yesterday, he wasn't attacking the rim like he normally does. And that might be an injury thing because, like, the Achilles is nothing to mess with. But mm-hmm. I just want to see him finally start, you know, winning lineups and looking at LeBron like, hey, we're, you know, we're equals, you know. And I just – I just wasn't high on Davis in that regard. Like, he's a game-changer defensively. 
offensively he's supremely talented, but I want to yeah, it's see always a mental thing. What I'm sorry? To me it's always a mental thing. He has the tools and he shows them in flashes, but he he just doesn't do them all the time. Yeah. Like, and I and I want to see that this series cuz if he doesn't show up, the Lakers are going to lose this series like flat out. Yeah. Full stop, especially with LeBron not showing as much pop. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I do want to bring up too, and I don't want to put this all on AD, Dennis Schroeder. Oh yeah, <laughs> he wants a hundred million. He wants a hundred million dollars, and nope. he's not going to get it. He, no way, he's not. Like, what, this, is he like, gonna is he gonna sign a one hundred million dollar contract with like an esports team or something? Because he's definitely not getting it in the NBA. <laughs> it is it is crazy to me, and you you can tell he's trying to prove himself because mm-hmm. he there's stretches where he just goes on like a dribbling tear and you're like, dude, there's, you need to look. Yeah. And like he, he does the, he does the thing. He does the young player thing, which is concerning for a player of his age and of his experience level. He does the young player thing where he tries to make up for the, the play before. Yeah. And you're like, dude, you like next, next play, like don't worry about what just happened. And he was terrible in the warriors play in game. Oh my God. I flat out terrible. And it's the thing. It's the, the this is the concerning thing. And this, and I've seen a lot of people bring this up, and it's con- it's slightly concerning. It when you look at our best lineups. Well, when you look at the Lakers' best lineups, it is LeBron AD, obviously. Then it's Caruso, KCP, and then probably Wes and Kuzma, depending on who's who's playing better that day. Yeah. So it's. It's it's really it really is the five guys we had from last year, and this is after we signed Montrezl Harrell and Dennis Schroeder and Marc Gasol, and like we're supposed to have this deep team, but we we're just defaulting back to our main guys, which is fine, but it is concerning that the these guys that we signed, these guys that we brought in as upgrades, and that everyone saw as upgrades, are um, becoming irrelevant. Mm-hmm. The deeper and deeper we go, and like again, there is a little bit of reprise. I don't want to say like they're a waste of money or whatever, because I don't think we would have gotten through the regular season the way we did without them, right? Because like you know, Montrez and Dennis Schroeder were extremely important in us riding the ship while LeBron and AD were out. Like I don't think we, I don't think we win the same amount of games that we do without LeBron AD with last year's team, but at the same time. It is concerning that our like I don't know who steps up from our bench when when we're doing when you know push comes to shove here and yeah. it does put a lot on LeBron and AD who are still trying to uh, you know they 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 clearly are still trying to come back from injury because they don't look hundred percent yeah um I mean that was the that was kind of one of the questions going into the season right when you guys signed all those guys because it was like Harold got exposed in the playoffs on the defensive end a little bit and you just wonder how many minutes he was going to get he only got 14 and he was and he was effective in those minutes but yeah not somebody you want to close with um Andre Drummond I just think is a non-starter I really think they it's I know it's coach Vogel I know he's won a championship already so we really can't you know not question him, but I do think we can criticize him. I just think not playing Marcus All and playing Andre Drummond instead is malpractice. I just yeah. think Marcus All is the better offensive player and the better defensive player 
um, just flat out. I mean, I don't care about – you can miss me with the points per game and the double-digit rebounding. I mean, whatever. Marcus All is clearly – you like he's smarter. He's a communicator on defense and then on offense. Um, he's a great passer. Um, him and LeBron always had that. You know that when Marcus All's on the elbow, he catches LeBron on that back door. It's been a long time since we've seen that because he hardly plays now. Um, maybe give Ben McLemore a shot. <laughs> maybe. Um, I mean, he's been he not with the Lakers, but like you know, he kind of revitalized himself in Houston. I mean. Let's say KCP goes two for nine again, and uh, or something like that, or you know, Caru- um, Schroeder doesn't play well again. Maybe give Ben McLemore a shot, but I think at the end of the day, it's just LeBron and Anthony Davis, and it, it sounds like an excuse, but it's true. Like if you watched LeBron yesterday, like Mikel Bridges, I love Mikel Bridges, stellar defender. A great elite defender. He'll put dudes in jail. LeBron has like 50 pounds on him, and you could see LeBron would relish that type of matchup, and he would just bury Bridges under the basket. And usually, w- with a guy like a guy with Bridges' build, would just get buried under the basket. That wasn't happening yesterday. And Bridges blocked LeBron uh, on the block once. Um, LeBron drove to the rim a few times and was met with resistance and was turned away. It, it they they just don't look right right now. But I think overall they just played bad, and Anthony Davis needs to play better, just flat out. Yeah, it, they they need to play better. I again, I'm not this this game to me showed that yeah we're gonna win this series, and if we don't, we don't deserve to, right? Like it's a thing, and I know it's weird to say it, like I it's it's a thing of cool if we win like we. Sh- to me, we're going to win the series. I don't even think it's, I, you know, I think we're going to turn it on. I think we're going to be fine. And the thing is, like, if we don't turn it on and we're not trying, then, like, fuck it. Like, there's no reason to even continue going with this season. Yeah. Um. So, you know, to, to me, I think, I don't think the Suns have a say on whether or not we're going to win or lose this series. Eh. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. And they kind of, they kind of might. They're a good team, man. Like they are, a, oh, I, they, I know they're, they're a legit a good team. contender. I think, I think. If the Lakers want to win this series. They can win this series. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess that's where I'm at too. I just think uh, it would be more so. I'd probably give a little bit more credit to the Suns if, obviously, if if they were to well, win this again, series. Again, I'm not. It's not like I'm anti Suns. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've been on the Suns bandwagon this entire time. To me, it's just a thing of this is a terrible matchup for them. It yeah. is probably the worst matchup out of any team in the playoffs for them. And it's just it's just a matter of if the Lakers want to win the series, they can win the series. Cuz if a, if AD plays, if they want if they want to try, then they can win the series. I think the more interesting one to me, and it's we had this topic, we had this talk last last week when we talked the Mavericks and uh, the yes. Clippers now, to me, I'm I'm concerned just of the thing of there's a lot of t- all the talk about the Clippers having these perimeter defenders, and they cannot guard Luca. Yeah, Luca is a top five player. <laughs> like <laughs> he like flat out. It's like we're like seven we're like seven games into Luca versus the Clippers in the playoffs, and they cannot stop him. Like they don't have an answer for 
Luca. And even even last year, if he wasn't hurt, he probably would have torched him more. Yeah, and um, it's it, he's incredible, man. Like the, the if you double team him, he's going to pick you apart. Like there there are only like or if you single cover him. He's going to step you back and hit a three. He's added he randomly out of nowhere. Luca has become also a more calculated post player and a calculated mid range scorer, which is just scary to think about. This guy's twenty two years old, man. Like he, it, the sky's the limit for this guy. And the fact that you know, I don't know more so. I think. The Clippers actually didn't put Kawhi or Paul George on Luka enough. They started, they, you saw Patrick Beverly on him a lot. You saw that clip on, that was circling around on the internet where Luka was told Pat Bev that he's too fucking small. (laughs) And it, like, if you put your point guard on Luka, that's death. If you try to trap him out at, you know, beyond the three point line, that's death. Like there were only two or three times yesterday where I saw Luca was kind of shook by the coverage that he got not shook. He just didn't know what to do. And that was it. Like he had an answer for everything. Now I will say the Clippers missed a lot of good looks from three on offense. Uh, Paul George stunk it up in the first half, but then, you know, was stellar in the second half. Uh, Kawhi, um, we might have to see Kawhi reach back in his bag and pull out, you know, prime defensive of the year player, defensive player of the year caliber Kawhi Leonard for this one. Um, might have yeah. to step back on offense a little bit, but they're they're going to need to have to put one of those two guys on Luca for a lot of the game. Uh, but I thought actually the I Clippers missed. To do that though, that that's kind of what we brought up, and that's kind of the question that I've had with the Clippers all year is, yes, Kawhi can handle a lot of your offense. And be your main offensive weapon, but it—he is not the same player defensively that he was when he no, does he, that. And he's not. And he and and at the end of games, if he's playing a lot of minutes, at the end of games, you can really see that he takes a step back on both ends. Yeah, like his lift goes away. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's not like it's a little like it's very noticeable. Mm-hmm. So but, uh, I don't know what you do if you're the Clippers. But also on the Mavericks flip side of things, um, they shot 17 of 36 yeah. from three. You're not gonna get. You're not gonna get that from Dory Finney Smith. Yeah, every Dory game. and Finney Smith had 18 points and was four for five from three. Um, <laughs> Tim Hardaway Jr. That he probably had a Tim. He had a, he definitely had a Tim Hardaway Jr. game. Um, but I just don't expect the Mavericks to go 17 of 36 from three again. But Luka is so incredible that maybe, like, you know, not to do the whole, well, not to do the whole Bill Simmons historian correlation type thing, but it is true, like, great players, like, all-time great players, they get on a trajectory in their young age faster than anybody else. So maybe we this might be the series where Luka wins the series by himself, and it's unexpected, like we have this linear path for players sometimes or whatever. Um, maybe this is the series where Luca just wins a series and we don't expect it much like how LeBron kind of went to the finals in 2007 and we didn't expect it type thing. Not that to say the Mavs are going to the finals or anything, but all time great players, they win series their first series sooner than expected. And they're basically 
an automatic like they win the first round every time after that they go to the playoffs and we might be seeing that with Luca. I mean he picked the Clippers apart yesterday and he wasn't even like a good scorer in the fourth quarter he was just picking people apart and that's where my question about the Mavericks lie is their clutch time scoring and Luca is you know he's obviously clutch but the Mavericks clutch numbers this year have really have been not good and I think part of it is like the ball just is in Luca's hands so much and he has to outlet it to a bunch of shooters and stuff and I just don't know if his role if the role players can replicate that and Kristaps Porzingis four of 13 but I think he was used more as a spacer than more than anything because Kawhi kind of started off on him a little bit but um maybe you can get Kristaps going more but, I'm still uh, a huge fan of the Kristaps post up, but I I like him in the post a lot. Yeah, it, but, it diversifies. You know, it kind of diversifies the spots on the floor and where the shot, where the defense knows where the shots are coming from. It kind of throws them off a little bit more. Yeah. Um but that's going to be an interesting series, man. Like that that series. I told is, you, man. <laughs> well, I brought this. Well, I thought the Clippers would win in six. I thought this was going to be a six-game series. I just don't – I mean, we might – who knows? I, we're, I might be wrong. We might see Luka just beat the Clippers by himself, and that would be wild. He would elevate on it in everybody's top player. There's, def- there's definitely a a chip on the shoulder. I, I'm almost certain that the Mavericks feel like if they were healthy, they would have beat the Clippers in the bubble. And so you, there's a little bit of that coming in. There's a little bit of the of the chip on your shoulder coming in that way, and I think like I think the Mavericks just they they see the opportunity here to make a statement, and I think they want to make it, and I think like it's I think possible. they can. It's yeah, I it's think. it's possible for sure. Um, and we'll we'll see if the Clippers can knock down some some. And oh, this, this thing I want to bring up too: fourth quarter when they got down by like six or seven, the body language was just like the bubble. Nothing changed. Oh yeah, when they got down like like seven or nine with like three minutes left. Yeah, like three minutes left. That's a lot of time. Yeah, and it's only seven points, mm-hmm. and they they didn't want to play anymore. And it looked like I think it was towards the end of that game with like cause there was still like they could still play the foul game, and they yeah just didn't mm-hmm. like they, like yeah it's it's not great it's it's not great Bob. <laughs> yeah, like the. Again, I I know we probably put too much into body language and stuff like that, but they did not want to play anymore, and it and you could tell that yeah. like they were just like oh, they were just like all right, we'll we'll go to the next game. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on this Clippers team, man. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens if they got you know bounced in the first round. That that Steve Ballmer with his you know crazy ass would is would definitely <laughs> shake things up for sure if. Uh, that were to happen um but it's crazy to say that the Mavericks have the best player in this series I think I think I am I think I am comfortable saying that now um especially because look that Kawhi's run to the finals was amazing and and it was cute that there was that little month or two month period where everybody was saying that he was the best player in the world, even oh though before God. that, look, even though before that it was that Kevin now, Durant. We say how much everyone overreacted to that to Kawhi winning a championship in Toronto. Yeah, even though 
he was four bounces away from maybe going the other way home. Or if the Bucks didn't choke in game three of that Eastern Conference Finals, they could have went up 3-0 on the Raptors. Like, there are so many breaking points where the the narrative just changes like that. But even bef- but before that, before Kevin Durant's initial calf injury, he was the best he was playing like the best player in the world. Like yeah. flat out. And so ne- then we all kind of just moved to Kawhi. Well, uh, and then these Le- last like, two years, man, uh, LeBron, like he's still LeBron, a top seven player, but LeBron last year too, before the bubble happened, was ball was literally playing the best basketball i think in like the last four or five years yeah last, yeah, last year's lebron was my favorite lebron not oh the best God, but it was my favorite lebron yeah he was playing absolutely insane yeah but um, uh the mavericks might have the bet i think they do have the best player in this series actually yes. i'm just gonna yeah i'm not gonna hedge it like Luka Doncic is the best player in this series um Kawhi's just not the same defensively um he hasn't really been he just lately he has it even coming back from the injury and joining before the season ended like he just hasn't been that efficient either like he's still a top he's still a tier one guy to me but Luca is Luca's special man like I know it's obvious I cannot believe the Kings passed on this guy I got so, robbed of seeing Luca in Sacramento <laughs> so Jordan big question for you here if the Clippers lose here if they get embarrassed by the Mavericks does Kawhi opt out and leave? No, I think he stays. You think so? Yeah. It, it It's L.A. It's his home. Um, I'm sure he'll figure out things with Steve Ballmer, but I think Kawhi's been wanting to stay. I mean, even going back to way back, even going back to San Antonio where, you know, he wanted out, he wanted to go to L.A. That was pretty clear. So yeah. I, I think he would stay. Kawhi's, not, Kawhi's also – I don't think he's the type to would that would switch teams that much. He seems kind of low key in that way. Yeah, totally. I'm. Uh, what do you think? I'm on the fence. I don't. I don't think he cares about championships. I don't think he cares about. Uh, I think he just wants to be where he wants to be and like being able to be, to be successful. And like the Clippers are a good enough team to be successful. I don't know. He's such a weird dude to like kind of try to predict. And that's what kind of gives me pause of like, yeah, we can think that he's like this, but we don't really know. I think he cares about championships. Um, I just think that this Clippers team down the road isn't going to be a contender since they gave up 10,000 draft picks to make this duo work. Yeah. And like they give 10,000 draft picks to do a work, but it's not, it's not a good uh, duo. Like, well, not good. Like they just haven't been great. They haven't been together is the main thing like even even at even at the beginning of this season when they were playing together a little bit more like by the middle of the season they both just started missing games uh because of injuries um once again like you know just not seeing the court together all the time I think that's been the one big failure of this duo is just not having that continuity together I think Doc Rivers actually in a Sixers presser a few weeks ago said that uh, Paul George and Kawhi only practiced together last season one time, which is wild to think about. Like, you're two star players, like, not practicing together. And, yeah, they had training camp together this year and stuff, but, again, the last 30 or 40 games, they just 
players have been in and out of the lineup. The duo wasn't playing together as much. And I think that's the one big failure more than anything when we look back at this, uh, what the Clippers did here, uh, when we, you know, remove ourselves from it 10 years from now. I just think that's the big, the biggest thing is that continuity. It matters. Yes. Um, I do want to atone for the Blazers Nuggets series because I think the Nuggets are in huge trouble and I know it's game one and I don't want to overreact to game ones but if PJ Dozier doesn't get healthy and if Will Barton doesn't get healthy soon Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are just going to absolutely put these guards in a torture chamber for the Nuggets and I like the Nugget or the Blazers strategy yesterday of basically letting Jokic be a scorer because obviously yeah. he's a great scorer. He can Jokic is shot sixty percent from two, like thirty nine percent from three, and like eighty six percent from the line. But what makes him so deadly is his passing. And if you double Jokic, it's over. Like he already knows what's going to happen. I think the Blazers staying home on Jokic is an effective strategy. And on the other end. Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and a little bit of Carmelo Anthony a revenge revenge series for Carmelo no, Anthony Carmelo, Denver, Carmelo Denver was, was balling yesterday yeah or Saturday yes Saturday. But, uh, but you're like Melo was you know he even hit like a vintage Melo like Dude is in my face. I'm just going to pull up right in his grill and hit a three. He even had one of those classic Mellow shots that I would practice in the backyard because I was a huge Carmelo Denver Nuggets fan. Like, yeah, the the Carmelo, for, for some reason, and rightfully so, I'd say, that number 15 Nuggets jersey with the yellow pinstripes on the uh, inside of the jersey, that's like a Hall yeah, of Fame jersey. The, the, the white blue. blue one. Yeah, the navy blue one. That's a Hall of Fame yeah. jersey. Like, it, it, like if, if you're just talking about a tire and drip, like the Nuggets mellow jersey is one of the best. Um, but Lillard and McCollum just took com- – they took Compazzo. They took Monte Morris, who was just coming back uh, from injury. They took all the Nuggets' tiny guards – to the woodshed Austin Rivers too who was a late pickup towards the end of the season he's now starting um this Murray injury hurts the Nuggets in a lot of ways man and I think I I knew it was a big deal but I kind of underestimated it because I kind of was just like the Nuggets are going to win this series because I just think they have the best player on the court but if the Blazers defensive strategy on Jokic continues to be effective then Damian Lillard can just, you know, carry the Blazers past this uh, past this first-round series. And I'm pretty sure Yusuf Nurkic, who has been getting better as the season went along and towards the end of this season, I think he relishes this matchup against Jokic because Denver effectively chose Jokic over Nurkic, and that's why he got traded to Portland. And I know Nurkic relishes these type of matchups, and he was effective yesterday, 16-12 and 12 with five assists on 7 of 10 shooting. Um, this, Bla- this Blazers team definitely has a legit shot at winning this series, especially if Dozier, who's a bigger 6'8", 6'7", type of wing, comes back, and if Will Barton is still hurt. Um, the Nuggets are kind of in trouble here. I still think they'd win, they'll win this series, but they kind of have to mix some things up and kind of get Jokic's 
passing going as well? Because that's a big part of what the Nuggets do. I think they just have to unlock their size more. I think they have to go more to the post-ups. I think they have to go more to the Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon route of scoring. Um, and just kind of bully their way around and use that size. I think the Nuggets but, would be fine with having Michael Porter, or the Blazers would be fine having Michael Porter Jr. post up, though. I yeah. don't think that's his game. Uh, no, it's not. But it, I think just having that size advantage there, at least if him dive into the basket or cutting more, yeah, he's becoming he's becoming too lenient on that spot up, which is fine. He's really good at it, but I think he's six yeah. nine, six ten. Like you gotta have you gotta dive to the basket every once in a while, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think that giving that versatility to his game is going to be huge for him going forward and being able to be that weapon that can be used in a lot of different ways. He It's a lot of standing in the corner right now, and I think it makes it easy to defend him. Yeah. And Michael Porter Jr., one of 10 from three in that game. I don't think he's yeah. going to shoot like that again. He's an elite shooter. I, I think what he shot 43% this year. Um, I'm really excited to see, by the way, just a side note, I'm really excited to see how Porter Jr. develops because he was falling in that draft because of the back injury and stuff like that. It was just like, you just knew. It was like, man, whoever gets this guy, if they can get him healthy, like they might have, not might, they're going to have a steal on their hands because that combination of size and shooting touch. And he's a, I think he's, he's underrated in terms of IQ on the offensive end, at least he's getting better defensively too. You could kind of see the improvements there um, in terms of like help and rotations and stuff like that. But he, he can't go one for 10 for three again. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Aaron Gordon needs there. The, the scary thing is you're probably going to need Aaron Gordon, like you said, to do a little bit more. And I don't know if that might be a dicey proposition for the nuggets. Um, he would still be the third option, but, you know, just in Orlando, he was tasked with being, you know, the scorer and facilitator and stuff like that and had a lot more on his role than, you know, bit off a lot more in his role than he could probably chew. So that would be my worry. But that would the only avenues for the Nuggets to take advantage of their size is, like you said, it's Michael Porter Jr., but he really doesn't post up like that or use a size like that. Aaron Gordon, who can be effective at times, but do you want him doing it all the time? And then Jokic. Um, they don't have Will Barton, like I mentioned. They don't have Dozier to kind of give Damon CJ a little bit of trouble on the perimeter just from his size and his length. It's just a lot of Austin Rivers and a lot of Faku Campazo and a lot of Monte Morris backing them up. And I, I just don't know if they can guard those two guys. And then on top of that, you have Norman Powell, who shot three for 11, but I don't think he's going to shoot three for 11 again. You, if the Nuggets don't make some changes in game two, then they're definitely in danger time for sure. Yeah, totally agree. So what'd you think of that Knicks uh, Hawks playoff series? Oh my God. Uh, or playoff or game one. So, I should say. Again, I'm not the biggest uh, Trey Young guy, but he played really, really well. I think the, to me, the last last second shot was the, the layup was a parting of the Red Sea for some reason. I don't know what happened to the Knicks defense. Mm. Um, I I want to give a shout out to uh, to Bogdan for yes. hitting some of the playoff shots. some insanely clutch shots. Oh yeah, um, and really kind of bailing out the Hawks in a lot of ways in, in a lot of situations. Um, 
playoff so, bogey. He was built for this. Like, I am glad to see bogey get playoff minutes because with the Kings, you could just tell he was a super ultra competitor. He's played in big games like this overseas, by the way. So I don't think he was shook by the MSG crowd. Um, but uh, I'm glad that he's finally getting playoff reps. Um, I go back and forth with Trey Young because I think this year – uh, he just wasn't fun to watch. I thought last year you could kind of see like the inklings of a guy who could score, and he's a, he's always been a great passer. Um, but I think Nate McMillan has kind of organized the Hawks in a way that one has made Trey Young trust his teammates more, and also has made Trey Young a more efficient player. And you know he passed the first test of being a star. Like the guy still. The guy was still averaging like over 25 points. I need to look up his stats exactly. Um, but he's still a all-star caliber player, like with the numbers he puts up. And now it's finally translated to winning. And he finally had his, you know, big playoff moment. And, um, you know, it was a great playoff debut. I think he scored and assisted on the last 21 points of the fourth quarter for the Hawks. Um I picked the Hawk. I know I said on my pod, might have sounded like last week on my podcast that I was leaning Knicks in this series, but I, I went with Hawks and six just because I think they are more talented than the Knicks are. Um, the Knicks are more tough. They are definitely better defensively, but I just think the Hawks have too many options. And you saw that with Bogdan too. Like Trey Young would find he had some. I do. I do like that Emmanuel Quigley is going at Trey Young. I do like that too. I think I think that actually might be the next best play at playing Trey Young because I think part of the problem was yesterday and why you saw that parting of the Red Sea. One, poor Frank Nilakina only went in for like two defensive possessions at the end of the first yeah, half and at the last it. play <laughs> where Trey Young scored. What's up? I said he got toasted. He did. He got toasted, but he came in just cold. Like I felt bad yeah. for him. And also Nerlens Noel not being in there because he got hurt. Uh, kind of uh, kind of contributed to that as well. But I just – the Hawks with uh, – Trey Young was making great passes to the weak side corner on Bogdan for a few of the clutch threes you were mentioning earlier. Um, DeAndre Hunter hit a few big shots. They just have weapons, man. Now that Hunter's healthy again, um, Herter, is, Herter is out there, um, you know, hitting threes at a clip off the bench – uh, Clint Capella it gives the Hawks a size advantage over the Knicks that uh, you know, kind of can kind of help out with his offensive rebounding and his defensive rebounding. I just I like the Hawks in this series just because they're more talented. I think the Knicks the pathway for them to win this series is in seven because I just think um, they are they are just tough and rugged and they might not score a lot but they can definitely hold teams and make it a game. But I think part of the reason why the defense was not up to snuff down the stretch was Tibbs is in a conundrum. Do I play Alfred Payton, who stinks to high heaven, but is kind of a bigger guard and okay defensively? Do I play Frank Nilakina, who just stinks, but is honestly, he's a better defender than Derrick Rose, Alec Burks, Reggie Bullock, who they ended up close. Those were the three guards they ended up closing with. So you're nobody's going to guard Trey Young in that lineup. 
So Trey Young got the feast. Emmanuel quickly might be the best option now that you mentioned him. Like he might be the best option to go at Trey Young at both ends. Yeah, he looked good, and Toppin looked good for those 12 minutes that he was in. I think he's not going to play any more than that just because he has had an up-and-down rookie year that's been marred with injuries too. Uh, but Emmanuel quickly can – he did not look like he was scared of the moment. Um, but just a side note, I loved the Madison Square Garden crowd. That crowd yes, – were- Fired up. They were insane. It was a madhouse in there. Like, I re- I think it, Emmanuel quickly hit a deep three early in the shot clock in the, in the first half, and the crowd just went bonkers. Uh, Obi Toppin had a right-handed dunk and a deep three. <laughs> like, the crowd was popping, dude. Like, I think the Phoenix crowd and the Knicks crowd, and it's kind of funny because, it, well, it makes sense because those two franchises hadn't seen the playoffs in a long time. They were fired up, and it was just good having once once the crowd capacity went past ten thousand. You're just like, okay, now we're starting to get like to like the real crowd level, like crowd status of how many people are in attendance. And both crowds showed out, man. It was awesome. That Hawks Nick series is going to be awesome to watch. I can't I can't wait yeah. for the rest of it. I'm honestly the way that series went, or the game that the way game one went. I think this could be a, a very competitive seven game series. Oh yeah, it has it definitely has the possibility for that. I just picked again, the Hawks one, at six because I think that's the only way the Hawks could uh could win is at home yeah. in Atlanta. I I think if they if they grit and grind this out, I think the Knicks have a very good chance at this. Oh yeah, I think to me it's a thing where like if if Bogey doesn't come up clutch for a couple of these, like the Knicks kind of win this going away. I think. You know, the, the defensively, there's an energy to what they were doing. There's a fire to what they're doing. Um, even though Randall didn't play very well, like you could see the fire that he had, and he was really getting after it and giving it his best shot. And like it's it's a Tibbs team, right? So like the mm. the energy was so high. Like I love. Yeah, this I don't team. think I don't think I don't think Randall's gonna be shooting that poorly again. I thought there were some head scratchers he had on offense, but he did he did have the effort <laughs> for <know>. sure. <laughs> Imagine five months ago being like, I don't know if Julius Randle's going to shoot this poorly again. <laughs> <laughs> I there is a yeah that that is um yeah well imagine yesterday during the broadcast when Alec Burks was hitting a bunch of shots down the stretch. Uh, the broadcast the play by play guy was like, Alec Burks is putting the Knicks on his back. <laughs> Like, I did not think I would ever hear that line. Um, but, yeah, like, there was that one, the the Knicks were up 103 to 100 with, like, 55 seconds left. And I uh, can't remember if it, if it was Trey Young or somebody else, but they tried to hit Bogdan, uh, Bogdanovich in the corner for a three. And R.J. Barrett actually had his hands on the – like, he deflected it, but he was already flying out of bounds. So he got – he took himself out of the play, and Bogdan caught the ball off the ricochet and just launched a three and tied the game. It was like – the but moments like what, that, it was just like, what, oh, what, they were so close. It, well, the thing is – that's crazy. If you watch the clip, he launched it, like, off balance, like you're saying. I thought R.J. fouled then, him. Well, dude, he launched it and ran back down the court like, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Like, he just I, took off. He's like, yeah, I, I know it's in. Bogdan's a motherfucker, man. Like, 
he's competitive as shit. Like, yeah. I love you, watching like, him. There was, a le- there was a level of confidence of like, oh, let's get back on defense, guys. Like, it's like it's like watching Kirk on the basket and Midorima shoots the shot and he's like, let's come back on defense. Like he had that it had that feel, right? He just turned and he just turned and left. I love a good Kuroko no basket reference. That that was solid. <laughs> but that's what it looked like, right? Yeah, it like did. He turned, he, he turned and like, ran right. back. And it was at I thought RJ fouled him because when he got back in the play, like he went up to contest, but he I thought he hit Bogdan's arm and it still went in, like splash. Yeah. And he ran back. And it was like, okay, like, all right, Midorima. <laughs> right? I was like, oh shit. This is, I was like, that's the cockiest thing. And it was, yeah, the, I loved watching that game. That was probably the most fun I had watching any of these games. Yeah, the Knicks, um, cra- the Knicks crowd really brought, Spike Lee was like stomping the ground like he was possessed yeah. by the Holy Ghost. Like, even, it was it was rocking in there, man. Uh, I that It's good. Like, I know, <clears throat> I mean, we shouldn't really care about ratings and all that stuff. Like, nobody cares about, like, no, unless you're an executive or whatever, or a business executive. Um, but it's not, there's no denying that the NBA is so much more fun when the Knicks are in the playoff mix. Like, that's just a fact. Like, I'm sorry. I know, yes, big market bias, whatever the hell you want to call it. The NBA is fun when, is more fun, more exponentially fun when the Knicks are quote unquote back. Now, they kind of have to do it again next year and the year after that to kind of look back at this Tibbs era, but that crowd was bonkers and it's msg that's royalty they pulled mike breen from they um what is that network called um well the the next tv network they pulled they were able to pull mike breen away from espn so he can broadcast those the first game one and game two on on the msg network with clyde frazier because the knicks are back that's how special this is (laughs) like that crowd was awesome and the Knicks are a fun, up-and-coming, plucky team. I do think the Knicks did themselves a disservice not attacking Trey Young on the defensive end more. I wish they would run. They, I wish they would let RJ Barrett run stuff more because it's really when you look at it, it's really like Derrick Rose, Julius Randle, and some Emmanuel quickly. And it's not really RJ initiating. He's and RJ's a winning. He has a winning players mentality. Like he's fine in whatever role he's in. He'll spot up and shoot forty percent from three. He'll be big on the defensive end and slide his feet and you know play defense. But he has some skills, man. I wish the Knicks would like Trey Young would be on RJ Barrett sometimes. And RJ scored. A, there were a few possessions where RJ scored, but he wouldn't touch the ball again. And it's like. RJ's a good ball handler. Let him let him take advantage of the mismatch. Like attack Trey Young more is what I would say like, for the Knicks. We could score on Trey Young. Like it's Trey Young can't guard anyone, and so like I don't, I just don't understand why teams don't go at him more. Yeah, like I, he should, he should be targeted. Every, like he should, you should, you should literally have to think if you're a Hawks coach, like we are we playing? Like is he worth having on the floor? Like that's what you as a as an offense, that should be your goal is to make them think like fuck we can't keep him out here. No, nah, the Hawks are well. The Hawks are never gonna take Trey Young up. No, he's their best player. But, no, but yeah, you you saying like you want like you want make them think that where can I hide Trey Young? Like where right, the like hell can want, I hide him? You want to really think like fuck this is a problem. Yeah, exactly. 
And I think the Knicks did themselves a disservice not doing it as much. As much 100%. as I love Julius Randle, and yes, you got to run your offense through him, I just think R.J. Barrett is a had a really good second year. He's still growing. He's only 21 or 22 years old. Give him some big playoff reps. Let him go at let him go at five two Trey Young. I know he's not five two, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> he's fucking yeah. He there's a there's a big problem with down and the I would line. Think, I, okay. And I would think Tibbs of all coaches would do that. And I was just kind of surprised they didn't. Like the weird thing is that I've noticed with defensive minded coaches. I don't know if you noticed this too. Defensive minded coaches a lot of times have problems. Flipping their thinking to offensive think, like applying their defensive thoughts to offense. Yeah, because you think it'd be as easy as like, oh, defensively, this is a problem that I would have trouble solving for their team. So let's attack them here. No, they just don't think that way. Mm-hmm. It's very their offenses just turn very vanilla. Like give it to the best guy and let them cook. Yeah, it's very all yeah. Offense, all the defense, all the defensive minded coaches do that, and it's like I don't get it. But but you know. Hey, uh, we can't really say anything else bad about Tibbs or Knicks fans will come at us. He did revive this franchise, but you're right. It's weird. Like I, at least, at least simplistically, I would think Tibbs would be a fan of mismatch ball. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, here, so uh, bring this up. I had this conversation the other day and like, I, okay. Monty Williams deserves to win coach of the year. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. You did a great job. Sons are great. Sons are doing a good job, all this stuff. I think Tibbs deserves it more. I think, I think, uh, I think my top three would be Monty, um, Tibbs, and um, what's his name? What's his Steve Nash in Brooklyn. And yes, I know people are going to be like, "Oh, Steve Nash, you know what? What he he's coaching like three superstars or whatever." Yeah, the big three hardly played together, and their role players won a lot of games. Like that, that to me, like says a lot more than just simply saying, oh, he has three Hall of Fame players on his roster. Like, yeah, Steve Nash was good, but I think you can make a case for either or. I think both are deserving. I know that sounds like a copy cop out answer. I think where Monty Williams gets a lot of credit for me is the fact that, yeah, we can attribute the fact that Chris Paul you know, was a big part in why the Suns started winning more games. I did not think the Suns would be a top two seed, top top five off or top ten offense, top ten defense, and had a legitimate shot to be the one seed in the Western Conference. That flip is so drastic. And it's not just Chris Paul. It's the development of DeAndre Ayton, the development of Mikhail Bridges. Um Jay Crowder, yeah, he's in the mix. Um, Cam Johnson in the mix. Cameron Payne revived his NBA career, basically, and is an effective, you know, bench guard. Uh, I just think all that development also goes to coaching, and I think it's all added up to where the Suns are right now. So that's where I think Monty has a just as strong of a case to me as Tibbs. With Tibbs, I didn't think the Knicks – and no. this is probably where Tibbs might have the edge. I did not think the Knicks were going to be a playoff team. And well, so they were a top my, four seed. I totally get where you're coming from with the Suns. My thing with the Suns is the Suns got Chris Paul. And like that's an additive piece that you can say. And and even in the bubble, you can say, like, oh, look, they're trending upwards. Like they're trending upwards. They're a young team. They're they have pieces. 
There's they have Booker and Aiton, and hey, they get Chris Paul now as a leader. Like, wow, this roster can do something. Where when you look at Tibbs, this is essentially the same roster he had last year that was trash. Yeah, and look at what he's doing with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tibbs. So, ha- Tibbs has the. He definitely is deserving of Coach of the Year. I'm not, not, not denying your, uh, not denying your argument. I wouldn't yeah, be. Like, that's all. That that was my big point of like. Yes, the Suns have a better record. Yes, the Suns are probably the better team. But look at in, in terms of pure coaching. Look at what the Knicks did last year versus this year with this almost exact same roster. Mm-hmm. Where with the Suns, there's there were there were positives that you could point to. Yeah, there were there were signs of the climb, and and then you throw Chris Paul into the mix. Like to me, that's more of a like oh I can I can understand or see where this is going. The Knicks thing, I, the only person I can attribute this to is Tibbs. Mm. I just, uh, I, I think with Monty, you also have to account that, um, I thought the Suns would be like in the four to six seed range in the Western conference. And I think we, sometimes when we talk about, it's almost like the leap from bad to good. We never talk about the leap from good to contender, which I think in some cases is harder to make, even if you add Chris Paul to your team. Um, so that's where I think Monty has just as strong of a case. I think the leap, and it's almost like when, like when Steph Curry in 2016 or Giannis last year, they kind of got um, discredited because whenever they went to the bench, their team was always up like 30 or whatever it is. The leap from a oh, good to elite is probably, arguably, the hardest leap to make, or like from great to historically great. Like those two leaps to me, they're harder than going from bad to good. But with the Knicks, they're they were awful and they ended up with home court advantage in the first round. And that is also where I would say Tibbs probably has as strong of a case as Monty Williams, because that leap was honestly, it came out of fucking nowhere. It slapped us with a white glove with powder on it, like it was it, it it they're both deserving love and said i'm rick james yeah i'm rick james bitch ah, ah, ah. don't get me started on Chappelle stuff i can uh imitate my my prince and rick james <laughs> i can imitate yeah, I, dave uh, Chappelle imitating rick james and prince yeah i i think it's it's i grew up on that show so it's like i oh I, yeah i i i weird we both do we both have that same kind of age group we both I have uh, I have weird references from that show, and people are just like, "What?" I'm like, "God, oh, don't worry." About it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, "Yeah, uh, okay, never mind." <laughs> like one of the one of the more underrated like lines from that Prince skit was just like when Charlie Murphy and his crew were playing Prince and the Revolution and basket pickup ball, and Charlie Murphy was just like, "Prince, can you can you turn on the air conditioning, man? It's kind of hot." And then. Dave Chappelle yeah and then Prince says Dave Chappelle Dave Chappelle as Prince was like why don't you purify yourselves in the waters of Lake Minnetonka (laughs) the uh the part of that sketch that always gets me is the a the fruity picks gets me every time Mm -hmm. um and then the uh the dunking with a straight face gets me like I and then he let go of the rim and he was still floating in the air (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I bring up Chappelle's of all time. But yeah, uh, kind of getting back on top. Is there any other... All the other games are pretty straightforward. Um, at least from what I remember. Like Sixers, Nets, 
Yeah, I wasn't yeah. really too worried about that one. Shout out to Tobias yeah, Harris keeping us in the game with uh, Joel yeah. Embiid in foul trouble on some BS calls, honestly. Yeah, I... I don't know. I'm, I'm telling you, man. Doc is lo- the Doc, the playoff coach, the old school playoff coach, is looming, and I'm scared because, like, he's going to he's going to mess up on so- a few big decisions or something like that. Where it's just, I, like, Dwight Howard is still playing with Ben Simmons in lineups, and those lineups have been terrible all year. Like, for some reason, he thinks challenges carry over into the next game, <laughs> like. Doc, it's okay to use a coach's challenge, especially when Joel Embiid's third foul was really an awful call. Like, it was an awful call. Like, and I'm also scared for, um, you know, Doc is a plan A, don't really have a plan B type of coach. And his plan A is great, but when it doesn't work, what is he going to do? Like, I want to see him get more freaky with lineups. Like, Put Ben Simmons at center more. Like, put more shooters around, or, you know, play Tyrese Maxey more over Shake Milton. Like, I don't know. Like, the Sixers should, they're going to cruise to the conference finals, I think. But it's the conference finals and potentially the finals where, you know, the margins for error, the margin for error gets really small. And I'm afraid Doc is going to be too much for that margin of error. That's just my only thing. But it's a pretty straightforward series. The Sixers should win in five. If they don't win this series within five, then I will have some concerns for sure. Yeah, for sure. And then Brooklyn, that's, I mean, we touched on it for like 10 seconds earlier, but that's straightforward. Like, yeah, that's the Celtics win. gave the Nets all they can handle in the first half. And I know Jason Tatum didn't play like Jason Tatum, but the Celtics need Jason Tatum to score like 45 every single game for them to have a chance to win a game. Yeah, like so. I'm not worried about anything else, any of these other series, but yeah, it, it, we'll see. Um, but we have we have some really interesting series going on. And I'm excited that we're getting into playoff basketball where we get to talk about these over the course of a couple weeks. Yeah, a lot of um, these, a lot of these series, all these series are interesting except for the Nets and the Nets, Celtics, and Sixers, Wizards. We touched on all of them. Yeah, everything, all the series in the in the West are interesting, and all the and you know two of the series in the in the east so six out of eight is not bad at all oh yeah we had a lot of good game ones man like it's been a while since maybe it's because like like i said earlier it's because you know um we didn't have crowds and stuff and it was a bubble setting but it 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 just feels good to have this back and maybe that's why we think it's been a while that we haven't seen this many game ones is because we're now coming back to this normal setting and it's it's nice yeah very much so um so yeah i guess that's it for this week and uh i guess we'll talk to you guys next week for games two and three and maybe four if some people get swept yeah maybe maybe four but uh yeah thanks for watching guys and uh we'll talk to you guys next week the bob